Welcome to the Sober Podcast, part of the Soberverse, created by the team at the Sober Network. The Sober Network has engaged in revolutionizing the treatment industry by creating its own token economy. We offer fresh ideas to an industry that has relied on dated interventions. We are responsive to a new generation of substance users who are attached to their phones so we can impact massive social change. Our unmatched technology displays solutions of our various brands, demonstrating a thorough understanding of how we get things done. We are proving that technology, along with incentivized human accountability, provides measurable and positive outcomes. Visit us at SoberNetwork.com. Hello and welcome to the Sober Podcast, part of the Soberverse, brought to you by Sober Network. And I am your guest host today, Jamie Brickhouse. And I am thrilled because I have one of my um, kind of a newish sober friend. Um, last couple of years, we are, we're, we're pandemic sober buddies. Erin uh, Williams is her name, and she is the author. She is an author and illustrator, and she's here to recover out loud, so to speak, on the Sober Podcast with us. Thank you for joining me, Erin. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Of course. Tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and uh, what brought you to recovery. Um, okay. I am... So... Uh, I originally got sober in New York City. I went, I grew up, I'm a New Yorker. I was born in Brooklyn, grew up in Long mm -hmm. Island, um, went to college in the city, uh, much like your last guest at NYU. And um, I, uh, I live in Westchester now with my spouse and my seven-year-old daughter and um yeah, I, I write and illustrate books full time now. Uh, it's been a a, a strange, uh, weird trip to get here. <laughs> that was, how that long? Was, how long have you been sober? Um, so I've been sober since October first of two thousand and eleven. Uh -huh. So just over ten years. Yeah, ten and, and a half years. And how did how did um, your alcoholism addiction uh, progress for you? And where did it lead you? Yeah. Well, I always knew that I was an alcoholic or had a substance abuse problem. Um, from when I was, I think I started drinking seriously when I was 15 and I 
would drink until I was, you know, vomiting and sort of immediately <laughs> had consequences of my drinking, whether it was, you know, getting into uh, really questionable situations with men or, um, yeah, throwing up, getting physically sick, um, not sleeping at home, not knowing where I was when I woke up. Um, and both my parents are alcoholic in their own way. Mm. Uh, and I knew active or are sober also. No, they're, they're active. Uh Um, so I, I immediately knew that once I started drinking, I didn't want to stop. And I knew what that meant. Um, but I also knew that I wasn't ready to give it up. Um, so when I left for college, I gave myself a lot of rules around my drinking. Like it's fine. As long as I don't do it two days in a row, uh, it's fine. As long as I don't drink alone. Um, and that was freshman year that I was already sort of bargaining with myself around, Mm -hmm. around my drinking. And then when I went home for, uh, my first winter break, I was in a very bad DUI and Mm-hmm. almost killed two of my friends and um went to jail and you know I kept drinking for another 10 years after that so there was a, no point at wow. which my drinking didn't have terrible consequences um and how did um because you're and we'll, we'll get to sobriety of course um how did your active addiction affect your art as a writer and illustrator Oh, I don't. I I guess the question is pre and post. Yeah. It's a good question. I mean, when I was active, especially throughout my 20s, I didn't write or really make art at all because I didn't think, I I just hated myself so much. And I didn't Mm. think that I had anything to say. Um, So I worked these sort of, you know, like, I worked at Urban Outfitters at the cash register for for a few <laughs> years, and then I worked, uh, you know, as a temp for a while, and so somehow ended up in this very weird like data job in in finance, and um, and then finally at a at a taco shack. But I didn't I didn't really I, I didn't write at all. I just I wanted to be one of those people who could get drunk and write all night like Ernest Hemingway. But when I got drunk, that's not what I wanted to do. <laughs> you know, I was not like sitting down to write a novel. Um, I totally relate to you because, uh, you know, I'm a writer too. And and I, um, I really was not able to produce much yeah. at all um, when I was, when I was in our, in my active alcoholism, which is to yeah. say, even when I wasn't drinking or drunk, I still wasn't really producing anything. Right. But that was always the fantasy, right? It's like, yes. you know, I'm going to be Ernest Hemingway um, <laughs> or some sort of adjacent drunken whatever. Um, yeah. And then it, re- it really wasn't until I was, I had my kid when I was four years sober and I was or three years sober and I was home with her full time for the first year. And I started a blog like mm-hmm. a WordPress blog. And when she w- right before she was born and then, you know, when she was a baby, I sent out a, you know, blog post to a mommy blog for the first time. That was the first time I'd really ever submitted by writing anywhere. Mm-hmm. And um, it, there was something about having a kid that changed me. And I, I sort I sort of like 
I didn't care if I were, if I was rejected, I felt like F it, you know, I just. Why do you think liberated you to not care about the possibility of rejection? Um, I don't know. It's, there's like nothing more humbling than being a new mom, um, or a new parent, maybe. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I, you know, you're like never sleeping for more than two hours in a row and you're feeding a screaming like alien raisin from your body and you're walking around with poop on your clothes half the time without knowing it. It's like, I don't care if this, you know, this mommy blog doesn't want to post my 10 new best things about being a new mom article or what, you know, whatever. Just dumb right. Article. Right. Just, you know, didn't care. Oh, good. Well, you know, that is um, actually, that leads into my next question. Uh, but we are going to take a quick break, a quick commercial break, and we will be back in just a few seconds. So stick with us. The Sober Podcast is now part of the Soberverse. It is another innovative solution developed by the Sober Network. The Sober Podcast is giving a voice to recovery. For more information about this and all the other parts of the Soberverse, visit us at thesoberverse.com, thesobernetwork.com, sober.com, sobersystems.com, soberpodcast.com, sobercoin.io, and recoverycoaches.com. And we are back. It's your guest host, uh, Jamie Brickhouse, and I am talking with Aaron Williams, a writer and illustrator. And um, you were talking about uh, being a new mom and starting a, a blog. And uh, I'm sure many of our listeners are parents. Do you have any tips uh, for parents that are in sobriety um, or struggling to get sober? Oh, my gosh. Um I, I have worked with many moms, uh, who are trying to get sober and I, I don't, I mean, it's, it's hard to get sober no matter what the circumstances are. Mm -hmm. Um, I, you know, I, I, Sorry, I I can't really think of anything that's like specific to parenting. I feel like there's this um besides the fact that there is I feel like we put a lot of guilt and shame on ourselves for drinking probably around you know around kids. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I guess what I would want to say is you can't, you can't get sober for anybody else. You have to want to be sober. You know what I'm saying? Like you can't. I do know what you're saying. Because yeah. you're driven by the, the guilt of, of being drunk around kids. You, you really have to, you have to do it for yourself. And it's, it's really hard to find the, the time and the, the will to, put yourself first when you're mm -hmm. especially a new parent. Um, 
but that that is sort of the work that sobriety requires not not to put yourself to put your sobriety first and yeah. ahead of well it's just like the old you know you know put put your put your mask on in the airplane put your mask on first before you can help your child or anyone else and yeah. uh, but, but that I, feels so counterintuitive to parents mm-hmm. a lot of times but it's really important it's it's critical see you did have good advice i think that's that's fantastic. No, seriously. And you have to get sober for yourself. I don't have children. So um, I think all parents are amazing and heroes. I have a cat and I try to, to stay sober for my cat and it did not work. <laughs> but that cat is gone. And my current cat has never seen me drunk. I'm so proud of that. <laughs> Love that. Um, you, uh, you talked about um, earlier, I want to get back to something you said in, in talking about your addiction and that it led you to uh, sexual situations uh, that were dangerous and, and and sometimes not of your making, and you um, have a and this is a, a beautiful case of your addiction, you know, feeding your art. Uh, tell us about your book. Um, it's an illustrated graphic novel called Commute, an illustrated memoir of female shame. Yeah. Um, yes. When I was, uh, let's see, maybe five years sober, I started commuting from where I was living at the time in Westchester to New York City for work. And um, I noticed a lot of, like, there were just things that I noticed on my commute about sharing public spaces with men. Um, And a lot of times, uh, my interactions with strangers um, who were men would sort of give me, uh, recollections or flashbacks to sexual situations that I'd been in when I was drinking. Um, and what I said before was that my drinking immediately had consequences. And I was in a situation, I was sexually assaulted when I was, um, 15 Mm. by an older, uh, guy. And, um, I was wasted. And I feel like that dynamic is something that I repeated for the next 15 years that I drank. I would drink until I was blacked out. I would be with a stranger, um, mm-hmm. sort of compromised, I would say, in a sexual in, in a situation that I couldn't possibly consent to. And right. so the book explores the sort of gray area between yes and no. A lot of times we think about assault uh, as a a no and, you know, Mm -hmm. consensual sex is a yes, but what is it like when you're an alcoholic who can't, who cannot consent um, because you're blacked out or because you, you're just trashed. Right. Yeah. Um, So, so sort of looking at that dynamic and the many different kinds of interactions that I've had with, with men during my drinking years, because when I got sober, I, and I've talked to so many other sober women who've had this experience, the shame that you feel when you get sober, especially about what your sex life has been, um, is really powerful. It takes a long time for that to sort of lose potency. Um, and so I created this book as a way for me to externalize it and sort of release its grip on me to try to give it less power, you know? 
Right. Which is, which is why we tell our stories and, and share, even if it's not publicly in a book, but at least with another person so that, that those stories no longer, I would actually, I, I like to say, um, I own my story. So my story doesn't own me. Exactly. That's exactly. Yeah. Well, everyone should get her book. Uh, I'm just telling you right now, uh, <laughs> tell us again, it's called commute, commute. an illustrative memoir of female shame. And of course you illustrated it, correct? I did. I wrote and illustrated it. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, what's the most difficult struggle uh, that you have been through in sobriety? Oh. And how you overcome and how'd you overcome it? Um, if you could pick your favorite. <laughs> if I could pick my favorite. Um, well, when I was, let's see, about seven, six or seven years sober, you know, there's this thing that happens when you when you get sober, your your world gets a lot bigger, right? And right. Uh, I was, I was, um, I was married. I was back living in Manhattan at this point. I was working for a technology startup and I'd started writing and illustrating books and I had a three-year-old and I was working probably 70 or 80 hours a week. And, you know, it was the classic case of like, you know, I thought I had it all, but mm -hmm. what I really had was I, I'd replaced my alcoholism with workaholism right. and, um, and it had really drastic consequences. My three-year-old daughter started, um, erupting into violent tantrums and physically attacking me anytime, um, I was near her, uh, as a reaction, I think to me really not being near her that often. Um, I had a co-working right. space where I went nights and weekends. I was in the office from seven in the morning to you know five o'clock when I would pick her up. Um, and that was actually I was seven years in when I sort of began to realize that I needed some sort of spiritual practice in order to survive. Um, mm -hmm. And that was really where I found that because I was so desperate. I was so um, desperate, and I didn't know what to do. Um, and I ended up, um, giving up my career that I'd been building, um, wow. and, you know, taking a huge pay cut and, uh, you know, we couldn't afford our apartment anymore. We had to move, um, but, and, and going into a sort of intensive therapy with my, with my child, um, and, and since then I've been able to luckily, you know, make some some kind of living writing and illustrating books which has been really beautiful because i have so much more time with her and for myself to take care of myself and my sobriety and be of service to others and it ended up being like a really beautiful um change in a way that i absolutely could not have anticipated from that really low dark place that i was in um back then but right. it was a really i love yeah I love that. And, and you answered my, I, I was going to do a follow-up question and we don't have time, but you, you answered what my, my follow-up question, which, which talking about uh, spirituality in your, uh, in your program. And, um, but maybe we can dig into that deeper later, but, but you answered my question about it being a part of your program. And um, gosh, I hate to, to wrap it up, uh, but we have to, we're out of time. 
And I have so much enjoyed this conversation. And Aaron, um, we're in a, in a, it's mostly a group of writers, this one particular meeting that we, we um, started going to in the pandemic. And that's where I discovered the magic of Aaron. And uh, I'm so glad I did. How can our listeners get in touch with you if they want to reach out? Oh, um, uh, probably Instagram is a good way. Okay. And what are you on Instagram? Um, Aaron underscore R underscore Williams, I think. All right. Well, good. We'll find her there. And again, I am uh, Jamie Brickhouse, your co-host, or not your co-host, your guest host. And you can uh, find me. Um, I tell a true story in high heels every day on TikTok. I'm at Jamie underscore Brickhouse and then at Jamie Brickhouse and everything else. And I'm doing uh, one of my solo shows. I favor my daddy, A Tale of Two Sissies at the Orlando Fringe Festival in Orlando, Florida. It's the second half of May. Uh, you can just go to my website, jamiebrickhouse.com to find info on that, all you Floridians. And again, Aaron, thank you for joining us. It's been great. Thank to you. Have you. Thank you for having me. And I am signing out from Sober Podcast. We'll be back with another show next week. Sayonara. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Sober Podcast. We hope it has been as good for you as it was for us. Please share our show with all of your friends, family, acquaintances, and future encounters so that we can grow our show and make our mission a larger reality. We have a growing social media presence on all platforms, so find us and like us, especially Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We are listed on all the major podcast directories, such as Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and more. Thank you all who make this show happen. Howie, our host, Carrie, our producer, and our sponsor, The Sober Network.